The Connected Families podcast is made possible by listeners like us. I'm Cindy Stone Street, and this is my grandson, Will. We live in Charleston, West Virginia, and we love to connect through Legos. You say, I hope you enjoy today's program. I hope you enjoy today's program. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Stacy Bellward. This is the Connected Families Podcast. Our purpose for the podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. We are so grateful that you are a part of the Connected Families community. You know, in our last episode, we talked about, is it worth seeking a diagnosis for my struggling child? It was really good. We had Mandy Kuda, MD. She was our guest and we discussed lots of different things, but one was like, what was the first step in getting a diagnosis and then how to navigate assessments? There was a lot that we talked about. Be sure to check that out. Well, in this episode, we're talking about how to advocate for your children with teachers, with the doctor's office, with other well-meaning adults, just advocating for our kids in our world. In our DTC alumni Facebook community, one parent described the situation. The message said, Andrew's teacher is regularly asking us for help with how to handle Andrew in the classroom. He often jumps out of his seat to welcome his friends or do something. When they do movement activities in the classroom, his movements can quickly become bigger and louder than what meets her expectations. He is quite impulsive and struggles to raise his hand before speaking or forgets to ask permission to move or to go somewhere. Wow, I read that comment because I know that resonates with many of us. We're here to think about how we can help our teachers, how we can help professionals better understand our kids and to advocate for our kids. And so to do that, I invited two ladies that have been on the podcast before, Marnie Love and Taylor Irby. Hi, ladies. Welcome. Both of you are here. You're both Connected Families parent coaches and moms who have had some practice with advocating for your kids. And so, hey, Marty, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell me about yourself, your past career, and what struggles were you working with in your home and in your work? I am, like you said, I'm a parent coach now, and I'm a homeschool mom to, well, two boys. I have one that's in college, but we homeschooled all the way through. And before that, I was a public school teacher. And so I had experience as a teacher with kids, all different kinds of diagnosis, all kinds of different challenges that they might be facing. I spent a lot of time in kindergarten. And so I was usually like the first teacher that a lot of these kids had. And so we, I had a lot of SST meetings, a lot of IEP meetings, <laughs> been through a lot of that. And um, I was actually, I got my degree in speech pathology. And so I had some, you know, background, but not, not a lot. Then Personally, I've got two boys that are neurodivergent that we have one with ADHD and another that we just have some sensory primitive reflex integration stuff that we've been working through. And so with both of those, I've had to do a lot of learning on my own. So it's been a pretty deep dive for me in all things, (laughs) brain development, child development, executive functions. So I've just really gotten a good education as I've been learning to help my boys. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. You've walked the walk for quite a few years, so we have a lot to learn from you. And Taylor, could you introduce us to yourself and your family? Sure. So I'm Taylor Irby, and I'm married to Josh, and we've got five beautiful children. And I say we're kind of like, I think Sally Clarkson used the term alphabet soup. We have, you know, a bunch of different 
differences in our family, including ADHD, autism, some sensory issues, some giftedness, some learning disabilities, all the different kinds of stuff in our family. And so learning to navigate that has been very interesting. Background for me, I was a music educator for a couple of years um, in a large public elementary school. And then we lived overseas for 11 years working with high school students, college students, and their families. And, you know, since coming back, it is really learning more about my kids and when we got back from living overseas, that's when we started getting some diagnoses coming in that started to make it make a little bit more sense what our kids were going through. So I've spent the last few years educating myself, growing and understanding my kids and being their advocate at home and at school and around the community. And then also becoming a parent coach with Connected Families a couple of years ago has been one of my greatest joys to work with parents and families who struggle the same way I do. I'm so grateful for both of you to be on this podcast. I know even from the past that you have warm and deep hearts and have a lot to share with our community and we have a lot to learn from you. You know, I started off the podcast in the intro reading this message from a parent who put comment in our Discipline That Connects Facebook community group. And I think that both of you heard it. You probably really resonated with this parent who got the letter from her son's teacher and the teacher's naming all of this different behavior and saying, you know, help me help your child. And I just, you know, we resonate with her, but it made me think back to when I first saw some struggles, maybe before or just after a diagnosis and the worry, sinking feeling in my heart, in our family was dyslexia and like, oh boy, you know, now what? Just a lot of thoughts around all of that. And so I just kind of want to start our podcast right there. And Marty, I wonder what you would have to say if you thought way back to that that time and what was going on in your heart and how you've walked through that. Yeah. Well, we had, you know, kind of a a different route, I guess, (laughs) to parenting. And our first son, we were expecting to have special needs. He had hydrocephalus and he ended up passing before he was born. And so I had done a deep dive already into what that might look like. Like I started my parenting journey off looking into, you know, just all the things that he was going to need and how we were going to support him. And I think that was kind of preparation, you know, for what was to come later. And at that time, I remember somebody giving me an article that was called Your Trip to Holland. And it was all about like, you were planning for a trip. I think it was like Disneyland, like you were planning to go to Disneyland or something. I can't remember someplace like Hawaii, someplace, you know, tropical and amazing. And you packed your bag and everyone was talking about it. You did all the research and you get on the plane and they say, we're going to Holland. And that's not what you expected. You packed the wrong kind of clothes. You know, you just weren't expecting this trip. And so you get off and there's beauty in Holland, right? Like there's the tulips and like, there's just windmills and there's, it has its own beauty. It's a slower pace. And then, you know, you come back home and everyone's talking about the trip that they had to this tropical location and you can't relate because that's not where you went. So it kind of like prepared me, I would say for the journey that we were going to be on. So I'm really grateful for that time that I had to kind of recalibrate a little bit and lay down my expectations of what it was <laughs> that we our family might look like. 
you know, I think you kind of have a dream about what your family is going to look like. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the child of my reality was different, but it had its own beauty. And so I think just having that perspective shift early on kind of helped me to, to navigate it. And also just to have answers, like we knew things were not working. <laughs> and so to be able to say, okay, this is why. And here's a direction that you can go to learn more about how you can support your child. It was a relief, I think. And so for me, I think that the, just the mind shift a little bit and accepting the child of my reality, the the family that we are, instead of the family that I may have planned and also just having that opportunity to, okay, this is your road. Here you go. Here's some resources and just Mm -hmm. to be able to travel it well and to prepare. Yeah, that's good. Taylor, what was your journey of the mind shift? Yeah, I just remember getting that diagnosis and being just really sad, being really sad and being afraid and feeling like I can't do this. I'm not this kind of person. I, I never was attracted to kids with differences. And so how in the world can I parent this? And, you know, I just, I had to stop and take a step back and say, you know what, just like what, what Marnie was saying, I love that idea of Holland and saying, this is my child. It changes nothing about them. The diagnosis doesn't change my child. The diagnosis unlocks doors to help. And so I was able to, you know, step through those doors and get the help that our kids needed and still need. And then also, I think another big thing is we start to think about the future of what is this going to look like when this child turns 18 and they don't qualify for these services anymore. And then we are having to do all this again, or, you know, I'm, I'm old and I'm going to die before this child. And then what then, you know, I think we do need to think about these things, but I think when they become the, 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 the focus of our attention, then it steals the joy that we have of them being the age they are now and really loving them where they are now. So it's a journey. And what I hear you guys saying is that you did some deep foundation work. Those who know the connected families framework, we know we start with the foundation which when we do that work in ourselves as parents, it then communicates the message, you are safe with me to our kids. And I just have to say, I just speak with our kids who are neurodivergent, who have diagnosis, who have walked through trauma. It is so important. Do you guys agree? (laughs) No, you're not going to say no. So important. It can be so hard though, you know, because it's such a different perspective that they have on the world. And sometimes our perspectives don't line up and it doesn't make sense. And it can be very hard. So I think with these kids, we have to take three steps back <laughs> with mm. our, our typical children, maybe one or two steps back with our neurodivergent kids and our different kids. We really need to take like major leaps back to, to be safe. Well, let's talk about school. School is the place where a lot of the difficulties and the struggle just seem to come out. And we really, as parents, want to advocate for our kids. And so let me just start off this part of our podcast and ask the question, what typical situations in school, maybe we're setting your children up for failure. And then how did you advocate for that? Taylor, why don't you start? Yeah, sure. So I have a kiddo that, you know, began school this year, first, first year in school. And it was a real challenge to kind of get started. And and this, this child displays a lot of aggressive tendencies. And so that was just really challenging to kind of keep getting phone calls every other day saying what my child did, you know, and meeting my child at the school and the teacher being there and telling me what my child did again in front of, in front of this child. And 
you know, I'm so grateful for connected families because I knew the term focus is fertilizer and the ABCs of affirmation, which if you don't know what those are, go learn about them because they're very good. So with focus is fertilizer. The idea is that what we focus on is what we're going to grow. And I realized that this teacher was complaining about my child in front of my child after she had already done, you know, dealt with the, the issue. And I know that she had to tell me. And so I just, I just asked her politely. I said, I really want to hear what you have to say. Can you please tell me in an email or a phone call and never in front of my child? Because this child hearing this, it's just going to spark the behavior more. What we need to do is, is focus on what's going well. And so I really want to hear every week something that's going well. And so for that, that has been really helpful because when I hear these things that are going well, it makes me want to fight for my child. It makes me want to get every therapy that this child needs. It makes me want to work with my child at home. When I keep hearing the negative stuff, it just makes me shut down and I get really burnt out. And so being able to express that was really helpful for me. I think also developing friendships has been a real challenge for my children that have neurodiversity. And so being able to train them in how to make a friend and how to keep a friend and then creating. How did you do that? Well, it's still a long journey, but I mean, with one of my kids who's a little bit older, I've had to, you know, teach this child about friendship, just about talking about what is a true friend. You know, a true friend won't lie and a true friend won't gossip about you. And if they do, you know, they're quick to go back and and forgive and, and apologize. And, you know, I think what's been great is being able to set up, what is it, structured things for this child to do with her friends at our house or at her friend's house, a trusted with a trusted adult, because, you know, this lots of kids that are not neurodiverse can go and play unstructured and for hours and hours. But these kids with these differences have a really hard time without the parameters. So being able to provide that structure for them. Right. So the structure around them to, to build friendships, Marnie, how about you? What typical situations for school would set your child up for failure? And how did you advocate for them? I know your situation is different because you homeschooled. So you got to set it up yourself. But what would you say for that? Yeah, well, there were still things. I mean, you know, anything from sitting through church to, mm-hmm. you know, going to like a library story time. We had co-op classes. And so every week we would, you know, for one day he would be sitting in classes. So I just really got prepared. <laughs> I had lots of different backpacks and they were filled with different things to do. So if we were going to a restaurant, we had a restaurant backpack that had like different activities in it. If we were going to church, I made sure and had all quiet activities in that backpack. For co-op day, I made sure that I made myself available. So I was in class with him. And when I could see that he needed a break, we, I, you know, I would talk to the teacher ahead of time and just let her know, like, sometimes we'll step out, give him the break that he needs and we'll come back in. So just kind of getting prepared and letting people that interacted with him know what was going on and that sometimes he would need to, you know, go, we call them a walkabout. <laughs> sometimes we would have to go on a walkabout and get outside and get our wiggles out and come back in. So that was, those were some of the things like that we did to kind of help him to regulate his body. I think that's the hard part is being able to regulate your body when you're in situations that, you know, you need you to be a little bit more still, a little bit more quiet. And so we just found ways to do that, that were helpful for him. Taylor, were there any cases where you had to be kind of firm with a teacher in school? 
just that, that time when that teacher just kept saying negative things. And I remember we were in an IEP meeting and we had, you know, all these people, if you've ever been in an IEP meeting, there's like everybody and their mother is there. Mm -hmm. And I just had to be really firm in my belief of my child. And I had to say, you know, we, we have seen so much progress in every school. Cause this is, you know, the third school, because we've got the, you know, the, the nursery school, the preschool, now, now this, you know, we haven't seen progress and I don't think that's my child's fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so being able to say, you know, my child thrives on praise and attention and this child needs that positivity and I need the positivity. That's good. I can remember two instances where I felt like I just had to be kind and firm. With the teacher. I remember one was in kindergarten and it was the reading program. This was way before we knew, had any idea around dyslexia. And it was, you know, you had to have, you had to write all the minutes and you had to do 30 minutes every single day to get sticker at the end of the week, you know, and it was just it was just brutal. And I was just real, like my girl is a hard worker and this is just taking everything out of us every single night. And I had to just say, we cannot do this whole program. Here's what we can do. We will do this many minutes. Mm -hmm. And I had to just trust my heart that this is what we can do. And we're doing the best that we can. And then go back to my foundation because wait a minute, all the other kids are doing it. They don't seem to be having any problems. She is the teacher. She's been doing this forever. Like what is wrong with us? My my second story about that was, I think it was maybe first or second grade around spelling tests. Now, you, you know, anyone with a child with dyslexia gets it. We were studying for hours and hours trying to get these spelling words and just still the test would come back. And it was so discouraging to my poor baby, you know, to put that much work into it and then not see the results and get that paper back each week. So I remember going in and saying, we need to do something different. Let's figure something out. And luckily we had wonderful teachers who who heard us, but it's hard. I think as a, as a parent in the beginning, you kind of feel like you got to get tough. Like, you know, I'm like in my, I'm like clenching my fists. (laughs) You know, you got to kind of feel like you're putting your armor on when you go in a little bit. Like I have to say a hard thing, which might mean that the teacher has a little bit more work to do, but isn't that what advocating for our kids is? It is. It is. And I think it's also really important that we appreciate the work that is being done. Like I know that the issues that present with my child can be really challenging. And I see you working with them and I see the work you're putting in there. Here's some things that could help, you know, and that's when I drew up this advocacy page for my child. And I put, you know, his cute little picture in there. And I put all the strengths and all the things that we've tried and all the things that don't work and all the things that help. And all the teachers have been so thankful for that to be able to have. Oh, tell us more about that, Taylor. Okay. What did you call it? An advocacy paper? Oh gosh. I don't even know what I I officially called it. I mean, that's what it is. It's just the one sheet. It's a one sheet on my child so that, you know, you can give them their entire packet that you get from the evaluation or the autism center or all the data you have. And this, if you have a child with a lot of needs, you've got stacks of paperwork. No teacher is going to, 
you don't expect it that they're going to read through all of that. That's just too much to expect from them. So what I did is I just took all that information. I did all that work and I kind of summarized it into one sheet that was visually appealing where they could see all of it at once. That has been really helpful. That's fantastic. And download it if they want. I have it on my website. So I do. Can- okay. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it. I've seen it and I love it. And having been a teacher, I can say that that would have been so helpful if a parent yeah. had handed me that. Better yet to have asked me for a meeting and to have sat down with me and, you know, kind of shared because nobody knows your child like you do. You've been through all the things with them. So just to kind of get like the Cliff Notes version <laughs> and this mm-hmm. little visual aid to help, you know, that would make, I think that would just set it up as like we're partners, we're working, you know, together for your child. I just always appreciated parents that came to me ahead of time and said, you know, this is what we're doing with my child. These, this is what we're doing at home. These are some things that they're still struggling with. Like, yes, we're going to have the SST meeting and the IEP meeting. We're going to do all those things, but to have that, like, it would just feel so supportive, even as a teacher to have the parent come and and share that with you and to give you that visual aid that Taylor made. First of all, it's beautiful. Everything Taylor makes is so pretty, but it's just a great, like quick, you know, like the, the kids pictures there, like, even if there was a substitute that day, like I always had a sub binder. And so I would put something like that in my sub binder so that even any teacher that came into the class would know, okay, this kiddo's dealing with this, especially as a substitute teacher. Like I would just be like, so helpful to have that quick bit of information about this kiddo to help that kiddo have the best day possible. So highly recommend you getting that and sharing it with your kids' teachers. Awesome. Well, we'll put the link to that and to Taylor's website and Marnie's, all their information. If you are interested in connecting with either one of them, we'll have that all in the show notes. Both of you meet with clients and our parent coaches. So yay, that's, that's fantastic. Marnie and Taylor, we have to go to a break. After the break, we have a lot more to talk about as far as advocating for our kids. Hey, friends, the wait is over. The new online course called Sensitive and Intense Kids Navigating Parenting Challenges with Purpose and Hope is complete and it's open for registration. Well, hey, are you one of the parents who would like to get science-informed insight into why your child is struggling? You're tired of feeling alone, trying to meet your child's needs and not really even knowing if what you're doing is helping. You need hope to see your child's very bright future. And you would love all of this to be as practical as possible and bathed in God's grace. Well, listen, it took three years, but it is ready to go. The Sensitive and Intense Kids online course will change the course of your family. It is a road to hope. This course has more specialized and newly created extra resources on your specific pain point, such as anxiety, sensory strategy, picky eating, lots more than any of our other content. And as always, our Christian faith and values underpin the content. Lynn Jackson, who wrote the course, said there are other courses that will tell you how to deal with an outburst, but nothing tells you how to heal your soul afterwards. We're offering the course in two versions. Video access is just that, access to the course content and extra resources. The second version is the community support cohort version. It has live events, Q&As, commenting, and a moderator to support your learning. 
I hope that you will jump into the community cohort version of Sensitive and Intense Kids. And by the way, it's only going to be offered once a year. Well, the show notes has all the links. Register today and you will get immediate access to session one. It's titled, Why is My Child Struggling? It will be the start of so much good to come for your family. Marnie Love and Taylor Irby, thanks so much for being with me today. We're talking about advocating for our neurodiverse kids, our kids with a diagnosis, just struggling. And what does that mean as a mom, as a parent, as dads, to support and advocate for our kids? And I want to jump in and ask you, Taylor, about the stack of papers you had mentioned about going into an IEP room with a big stack of papers. Can you tell us about that? And then we had a question come in on our Facebook group and that that parent was asking about the difference between a medical diagnosis and then an IEP and just she's trying to navigate what's needed, what comes first, second, like how does that work together? So could you answer that question for her? Sure. So I think it really just depends on your kid. Like if a teacher is the one that first says "Hmm, that there might be something going on here, you need to follow her, what she says. She'll probably, you know, write up something for the school psychologist and you would go through the school. But if you are sensing something that's going on, I highly, highly recommend getting some sort of evaluation through a child psychologist called a psychoeducational evaluation. And it is ask for the right psychologist because there's some great psychologists and there's some not so great psychologists, but the one we hired was amazing. She sat with three days with my kid, wrote up a stack of everything that was going on and things that would help and things that were not going to help. And at the very end, the most valuable thing for school were, this is the supports this child needs to be successful in school. And she just wrote out the bullet points. And so then I was able to take that because she, my, my, my child had not gotten a referral to the school psychologist. I took the papers to the school and I said, we have gotten a proper diagnosis. I need to meet with the team. And when you, when you say that they have by law, a certain point you have to be able to meet. And so what was so great about this paper is that they saw it as, wow, this is the gold standard of professionalism here. This person is well known for psychology and we respect what this person says. And thankfully I had a really great teacher that year that said, yeah, I agree with those supports and I've already been doing them. <laughs> Having that in, in her 504 is what that is called. So this is just supports for school has been very helpful because every year the teacher sees this child needs these supports and they put them in place and my child's able to thrive. Excellent. Okay. Thank you for explaining that to us and making that clear. So having gone through that process a little bit, not to that extent, but then I understand that there's a learning process for the parents to understand what does all that paperwork actually mean? How do I understand this diagnosis? Where do I find experts and help? And Marty, what was that journey like for you? And what doors did it unlock? You guys kept saying that in the beginning of the podcast. A diagnosis is, is beautiful. It's wonderful because it unlocks the doors to help you understand and ultimately advocate. We went through a doctor as well. Like I said, we homeschool, so I didn't have the whole other process, but 
once we had all of the paperwork from the, the psychologist, then we were um, enrolled in a class. And so the insurance that we had at the time, the doctor, the hospital had courses. And so this course actually was really helpful for parents that had kids in school because it actually talked about the diagnosis and then it talked about what to do next, next steps. So it talked about the 504 plan. It talked about the IEP and all of those can be, you know, I had experience as a teacher, so it wasn't new for me, but I can see if you're a parent and you're getting this diagnosis for the first time, you're learning all these new terms, all these new things. And then you're also having to navigate that field of 504, IEP, all the things, right? That it, it would be hard. And so I think that course was really helpful. I don't know how common that is, but that was, you know, that, that was the next step in our journey. And then it also really helped my husband and I get on the same page because it was someone else, you know, kind of sharing with us. These are the next steps. These are some things that you might be seeing at home. And I think what really helped my husband, because I think up until that point, it was kind of confusing for him. Is this behavior issues that we're seeing? Mm -hmm. Is this defiance that we're seeing? But hearing from the psychologist that was leading the course was helpful, but was what was even more powerful were the parents that were in the course sharing their stories. And then all of a sudden my husband was like, okay, this is quote unquote normal, right? For us, like this is our new normal. This is not, you know, defiance. This is not disobedience. This is something that he can't control. And so I think just like that, being going through that together was unifying for us as parents and then also helpful for us to understand, okay, we're not alone. And here's some things that we can do. Now, my journey looked different after that, because then I was doing a lot of learning on my own as a homeschool mom. And I know Taylor and I have talked a lot about Sally Clarkson and her book, Different. Like I just went on rabbit hole after rabbit hole, learning all the things I could to support my son. And then the, I think the very best thing we did was to get coaching from connected families. Like that was really, again, unifying for my husband and I to get on the same page, to get a framework that we could use to help our son navigate some of these, you know, challenges that we were facing in our home because of the diagnosis. So I think just getting on the same page and being a unified team is really helpful. So any ways that, you know, you can do that. Coaching was great for us. I mean, the DTC course is another great option. There's lots of options, but that was kind of our, our path. I think also speaking about a team, you know, if you have a child with, with a lot of challenges, we have a child with many, many disabilities, and we have found one of the best things we've been able to do besides parent coaching, which has been phenomenal, highly recommend is getting a team of therapists that work together and work with your child. And so all of our therapists know one another and they can all speak to us. So whenever I'm like, I don't know what to do about this thing, you know, I could ask our OT, for example, and she can tell me if she actually ended up writing an entire page for our teacher on things that, that she can do for, for our child. You don't have to be alone in it. Yeah. Taylor, how did you get them all together? Like, are they all in one clinic? Is it a multifaceted one location that you work with? So our child qualified for Medicaid and we went to a school, an inclusive preschool that really focused on 70% of the children in their typical developing 30% with developmental differences. And they had a list of people they recommended. And because it was all the school, they were all private, but they all came to the school to do the therapies. They all kind of know each other. And so, you know, we found a really great OT. And so I asked the OT, okay, which speech person 
and which PT person, and, you know, he, he was able to say, well, we all work together as a team really well, because we have a lot of the same kids. And mm-hmm. so that's just been very helpful. I would second that for sure. Um, we have worked with an OT. She actually works with homeschoolers. She's the homeschool OT. It's been so great, not only for my learning and to be able to support my son best, but also she has focus groups. And so it brings parents together over a shared struggle. So like she has an executive function group. And so we're learning together and it's that power of other people to share the journey with is so helpful. So I think, you know, not only yes, the professional team, but also people to walk alongside you that have Mm -hmm. that shared struggle, whether that's, you know, a group of moms that you get together. And I mean, I'm just thinking going through going through the grace and truth for moms course with other moms that have a shared struggle over this kind of, you know, diagnosis would be so powerful. Since we're just opening up the sensitive and intense course, the version that's opening up right now, it has the community built into it. And that's for exactly that reason, because we want parents to feel supported by professionals, by moderators that are there, but also by each other, because we're not alone in this. And I think it's a beautiful place to end our podcast today. Part of the Connected Families podcast, it's our heartbeat for 2023 is to build community and deepen relationships and support each other because parenting is hard just in general. And then when we add a diagnosis, when we add struggles, our kids that that are working through a lot of hard things in life then it does take more tenacity from us as parents. And we do need to link arms and support each other. And so Marnie and Taylor, thanks so much for being here today. You did that virtually through your voices and we just appreciate it. Thanks Marnie for being here. Well, thank you so much. I always learn so much when I do these with you guys. So thank you for the opportunity. Good. And Taylor, thank you for being here too. Oh, it's such a joy. Thank you for having me, both of you. Yeah. We're just grateful that you're both parent coaches and part of our community. So bless you. We love you guys. Bye. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. If you found today's podcast helpful, will you share it with a friend? Be sure to listen to our next podcast that is about how to empower your differently wired child. Well, we are a listener-supported organization. Over 45,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.